I suppose to a degree unworthy of standing in a pulpit because I don't necessarily see preaching as my, as my gifting. I can give a word. That's what it boils down to. Most of my preaching as a young man, <laughs> most of my speaking as a young man was done in the open air. Um, well, you didn't have to give a 50-minute sermon in the open air. You can get away with 10, can you, or 15, get it over, get the message over. Um, so that's really uh, the background of that. So I don't necessarily as a gifting. Um, I need somebody... If, if you think it is and you can convince me, do so. But uh, until such time, I'll continue. Do you know the first word that two of the greatest teachers and, and, and remember that? Jesus called John the Baptist, didn't he? The, the greatest prophet who ever lived. And then, of course, Jesus himself was a great uh, teacher. What was the first word that the two of them used when they first started their ministry? Repent. Repent. Exactly the same, wasn't it? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And turning back just quickly, so you don't have to, don't follow, because I'm going to be reading verses and bits and pieces all over the place. I suspect that's why I'm not a gifted preacher, because organisation is not my second name. <laughs> but 2 Samuel 11 records for us the story of David and Bathsheba. I'm not going to waste your time by going through that story again. Um, but just a quick resume that David, when he should have been out fighting wars, because the Bible tells us that it was springtime and that was when kings normally went to war, decided to stay at home. Whether he was fed up with fighting, who knows? But he decided to stay at home. And one night when he got up, because he was restless, when he knew he should have been fighting, instead of laying in bed. And then when he was up on the roof, he looked down, saw a woman bathing, thought she was very beautiful, sent someone out to find out who she was, invited her over, adultery was committed, he sent her home, bash, bang, wallop. Until she came back and said, I'm pregnant. Then David had to work a bit harder. Bring her husband home off the front line. We'll give him a few days leave. He's bound to want to spend that with his wife. But he didn't. Being an honourable man, he was a soldier. Why should his friends and others be fighting on his behalf when he should be there? David was getting deeper and deeper into the mire. So, the only answer to that, of course, was to send Uriah, who was the husband of Bathsheba, back into the front line, right at the very front line, so that he would definitely be killed. And he was. He was. And we pick up the story, the messenger, the messenger sent out, and when he arrived, this is a messenger coming back from the front. Told, uh, he arrived, he told David everything that Joab had sent to him to say. 
The messenger said to David, the man overpowered us, came out against us in the open, but he drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at their servants from the wall and some of the king's men died. Guess who was amongst them? Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. And David told the messenger, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. And when Uriah's wife heard about this, that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. What was it that displeased the Lord? The fact that he committed adultery? The fact that he'd been complicit, highly complicit in murder? I don't think so. Did you hear what David said to the servant who came, the messenger? Go back and tell this to Jezebel. Don't let this upset you. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. It was Uriah, could have been anyone else. You were a soldier, you go to war, you couldn't expect to die. That was David's attitude to his sin. That was David's attitude to his sin. And I believe that that is what displeased the Lord because David should have known better. He shouldn't have committed the sin in the first place. But now his attitude. It was him really who murdered Uriah. And here he is saying to Job, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He says, no one's going to know the difference. He's a soldier. The fact that you stuck him in the front and he got killed, well. And here's the problem of humanity. That is the general man's and woman's attitude to their sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Repentance. The forgotten word. I've said it a million times. The forgotten word of the 21st century church. Repentance. I don't know, it's a long time since I did Alpha and Christianity Explored, but does that word appear that many times in those courses? Repentance? Repentance. There's no salvation without your repentance. And David displeased the Lord because of his attitude to his sin. He really should have known better. He shouldn't have done it in the first place, admittedly. But it was open, bare-faced sin. And this was David's attitude to it. And that displeased the Lord. And then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. 
He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Ring anything else? So what, he's dead, don't worry about it, Joab. He was in the front line, he was going to die. Then Nathan said, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Chilly moments. Who was it who nailed Jesus on the cross? You are the man. Adultery, murder, with a bit of lust and deception thrown in. It was a, a flippant response, wasn't it? But it displeased the Lord. How many flippant responses have you made in your life that have displeased the Lord? Confronted by God through Nathan, David responds, I have sinned against the Lord. Come to his senses. I have sinned against the Lord. It's a wonderful quote that I came across as I was just looking through this. Athanasius, a church leader from the 4th century or whenever, I find it hard to say these old names with my false teeth, brethren. Athanasius. He said, most, most scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. Yeah, you get that? Most scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. In repentance, David makes no attempt to bargain with God. Just as well. Because he's got nothing to bargain with. You can't negotiate with God. Have you tried it? I have. It don't work. There's no compromise. You can't negotiate. It's not like a pay deal. There is no compromise. There's no negotiating with God. You simply come and throw yourself on his mercy. And David, in this instance, is fighting for his life. Because later in the psalm, he talks about, he says to God that, you know, you, you, you don't want sacrifices. Well, he couldn't offer sacrifices. Because if you remember rightly, in the Mosaic law, both murder and adultery were not forgivable by offering sacrifices. The punishment for both of those crimes was death. 
for both of those crimes was death. And David was praying here in this psalm, when we read it, Psalm 51, he was praying for his life. And these psalms are speaking for us. Just listen. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is all what God could do for David. David had nothing to offer. Simply threw himself on God's mercy. It goes on, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned. And what about poor old Uriah and, and Bathsheba? Did he not sin against them? No, because you can only sin against God. Right? You know, Jesus taught the Lord what we call the Lord's Prayer when he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors, he's not talking about sin. Because you and I have no right to forgive sin. We can't forgive sin. How can we forgive sin? In that prayer, he's talking about the, the sort of things that we do to each other. During the course of the day, we may not even be aware of some of them. But you might have upset somebody. Then even the little things that we get upset about, don't we? Get them at the end of the day when you pray. Get rid of them because you don't want to live with those other things. Just get them out. But now we're talking serious business, aren't we? This is, this is murder and, and, and adultery. The punishment is, is this. How guilty are we often of really just coming and I'm just, just using words, you may not use these exact words, but the, the attitude of, of, of most Christians when they, when they think of repentance is, well there, I've said I'm sorry. Repentance isn't being sorry. It's being sorry would lead you to repentance. But repentance is far deeper than just being sorry. not just a one-off thing. Really, we need to come before God every day. In repentance, we may not know what we're, we may not know what we're repenting for, in so much that we may not be aware of all the sins that we commit during a course of day. But we have to admit before God that we probably have, and we're sorry that we haven't recognised them. But every day, as we turn around and we're, and we're looking, is we where Paul talks about, Paul talks about, you know, working out our own, our own salvation. Well, we can't work our own salvation. That comes through Christ. But we work basically through our salvation. We, we have to play our part. You don't just say, oh, I'm a Christian, and then suddenly sit back and just let the world go by. It doesn't work like that. This is something to think of. I haven't really thought it through, but there was a quote in a book I was reading 
uh, a quote from um, Alec Matsumaya. Alistair Begg quotes him a lot, doesn't he? I think he was, I think he was a, a, a teacher at London Bible College when my son was there, Alec, Alec Matea. But he, he, where David talks, and he talks here, doesn't he, about um, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And the quote is this, transgressions, they are the willful, open-eyed rebellion against God. They're the ones we, we literally do on purpose. Iniquity is the inward perversity, the warp in our human nature. We're born in sin. And sin, they're the offences. They're the missing the mark when we sin against God. I'll have to think those through. I'm not saying that they're right. You might have to think them through yourselves. But that was the quote anyway. But he does, after his appeal for mercy, he goes into a deeper acknowledgement of his failure. Credit to David, he hides nothing. He is completely open now before God and he knows he has to be. Because you can't hide anything from God. Didn't he say that in his other sermon, which I read at the start? Search me, O God. Know my heart. You know when I get up, you know when I lie down. He knows when you sin, he knows when you don't. And of course the most important thing of his, of his prayer now is that he recognises that he has sinned against God. And that is who you and I sin against. It's not against our next door neighbour. It's not against your brother or sister in church. You sin against God. I didn't realise that you were related to John Risbridger. There's another book I'd recommend. Um, in the Bible Speaks Today, he wrote a book on worship. And he, just, he didn't write a few pages about the songs we sing. <laughs> he talks about real worship. Highly recommended, personally. I think it's a really good book. But he goes on to say, God's laws are not mere moral games that he plays with us. And when you think about it, they're not, are they? I've heard this said before. You know, I've heard Christians actually say, well, the Ten Commandments, they were part of the law. And yeah, they're, they're good for moral teaching. But there's no salvation in the Ten Commandments, which there isn't, because our salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. But we need to keep the Ten Commandments. And why? Well, because they're a reflection of God. When you think about it, they are a reflection of God's personality. Why don't you tell lies? Because it's not nice? because it might get someone into trouble. No, you shouldn't tell a lie because God is truth. Why do you not commit adultery? 
because it would upset so many people and cause havoc? No, because God is faithful. And it reflects how the way you live, the way you live out the Ten Commandments, reflects God's glory into the world. You're reflecting God's personality into the world through your truthfulness, through your faithfulness. By not being jealous and avarice and these sort of things that go with it. You're reflecting God's personality into the world. And this man, who God has set his heart on, King David, who he chose to lead his people, had failed. Just make no mistake. This great king of Israel, who built the nation, brought the nation together under one roof, the north and the south. He'd failed, because he'd failed God. It's often said, it's, 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 not a, it's not an incorrect translation, but it's not a good one, that David would be man after God's own heart. You've always got to remember when you quote that, you're talking about God's heart and not David's. But God has set his heart on him. Made him king. And he let him down. Finish. Very, very up to date, and I'm reading something now that, um, well, it's called in great debate worldwide, isn't it? it? It shouldn't be debatable, but unfortunately it has become. But David goes on in his prayer, he also, he also recognises that although Uriah and Bathsheba may have brought him to his knees, his whole life, his whole life, from the moment of conception, he recognises this, this is David, his whole life from the moment of conception has been tainted by sin. Sin is indeed embedded in our nature. We are born sinners. What's it like sitting in a room full of sinners? Well, you should know, you do it every week. Sinners saved by grace. Sin is indeed embedded in our nature, but also a sense of right and wrong. Like the old adage, isn't it? You don't have to teach a child to be naughty. And David also talks about even understanding of faithfulness will talk to us or talk to him in the womb. So every person who is born has an inkling of what is right and wrong. 
even though you, you may not be a Christian, you may not have repented, you will. <laughs> not very often you heard of five-day-old babies repenting, is it? But they would, have a, they would have a sense of right and wrong because God has done that in the womb. From the moment of conception, God has known. And he has known you and he's known me from that moment to this. It's a model prayer of repentance, this. It's a model prayer of repentance. It goes far beyond the quick PS that we often add to the end of our prayers, Lord, forgive me all my sins. That won't do. We need to face reality, sometimes with painful honesty. We need to accept the seriousness of our failures as we appeal to God for mercy. To quote, and this might have been John Risper as well, to quote, often we see repentance as a prayer to pray to become a Christian rather than a lifelong discipline of transformation. We need a serious desire to change. We need to seriously challenge the power that sin has over us. And if we are shallow repenters, we shall be shallow Christians. If we are shallow repenters, we shall be shallow Christians. I don't think, I don't really think we can conceive fully how seriously God takes sin. But we need to. David didn't, did he? Committed adultery, virtually committed murder, and all he could say was, oh, don't worry, Joe, it happens. Are you and I guilty of that sort of attitude to our sin? Well, it's, you know, couldn't help it. <laughs> wasn't really my fault. Yes, I know I keep giving in to it, but that's mess. I'm just human. No, you're not. You're a new creation. You're not. No repentance. No salvation. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have brought us to this place. We thank you for your word. where it's no holds barred. And we recognise, Father, that even the best of us are prone to give way, to listen to the tempter's voice. To displease you. But Father, help us 
through the power of your Holy Spirit, just as you used the prophet Nathan. To come to us and to make us realise the seriousness of sin. This thing that can cause separation, indeed the thing that has called separation, between humanity and their God. And although that prayer is prayed with sadness of heart, we come before you rejoicing. Because you have given us a way to overcome. You have showered your grace and mercy upon us. And we thank you, Father. For it's not not of us. We can't argue or negotiate. We have nothing. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply... To his cross we cling. Father, help us to be sincere repenters and sincere in all we do. In his precious name. Amen.